Support for Sponsor Talk and the following message come from Sponsor CX. If you're looking for an innovative, intuitive, and simple way to manage your sponsorships, look no further than this sponsorship management software. Sign up for a demo today and find out how easy it is to manage your sponsors. Learn more at www.sponsorcx.com. Hey there, and welcome to the Sponsor Talk Podcast, where we interview some of the leading minds in the world of sponsorship marketing and discover the various ways and how brands interact with properties in sports, arts, film, music, you name it. In this episode, guest host Normal Riley sits down with industry leaders to discuss how the pandemic has impacted the world of experiential marketing, what trends they're closely watching, and how they anticipate the recovery of interactions looking once the pandemic starts to clear. Hopefully today, you learn something new about the industry and challenges you to keep thinking differently. Welcome. This is the last panel of the day and just wanted to give you, um, obviously, an introduction to Norm, um, who is a director at the University of Guelph, professor there, and also a partner consultant at the T1 agency. So an expert in all things experiential. Um, Norm, I'll let you take it away because I know there's been a bit of a delay on my end. There's a great conversation ahead of us around the future of experiential one-to-one conversations, how that's evolving and how that's changing. So without further ado, Norm, why don't you take us forward? Great. Thanks, Avish, and thanks for, uh, thanks for inviting me to do this and, and getting me in touch with this uh, terrific panel. Let me just turn my email off. The, um, the, so I'm going to start off with just having each of our, of our, our panelists kind of give us a quick Coles Notes version of your background your roles, maybe a little bit about your career, and then maybe just talk about um, maybe one you know, effort or experiential campaign or activity that you've been involved with during the last year that's you know, progressing or surviving or coming out of this pandemic. And maybe we'll start with you, Brian. Sure, thank you. Um, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, I've been uh, with the, my current agency and firm for about uh, eight years now. Prior to that, I spent most of my career on the client side. Uh, in various roles at PepsiCo. Uh, so traveled around with the PepsiCo family, led most of the brands within the Frito-Lay por- portfolio down in Dallas, worked in innovation, worked in R&D, uh, worked on portfolio communication, and, and then moved over to the customer team side and uh, was in, in, a, you know, in the trenches trying to drive the PepsiCo business with a major national retailer. And um, delighted to be at Intersport. I serve as the president of our firm and we're deep into the event and experiential business as well as content and other things, but delighted to be part of this panel and uh, meet some of my fellow panelists and hopefully we can continue some great conversations, you know, downstream. I will say this uh, in terms of, you mentioned Norm, some projects we're working on currently, you know, since this is Phil, Phil Mickelson week, or at least last week was Phil Mickelson week, uh, we've got an exciting program that's kind of fortuitous that we're doing on behalf of Amstel Light our client that involves Phil is our spokesperson. And um, we're taking the, uh, well, Phil loves his calves and loves hitting bombs. And this famous jump from winning the Masters, what he's most famous for is the flop shot. Mm -hmm. And uh, everything that every golfer aspires to be able to do and can't do very well. So we're taking that on tour around the country to PGA tour events and, and local courses and bringing the uh, Amstel experience and, 
what's unique and quirky and fun about Phil Mickelson to the people. So we're doing that right now. We just kicked it off. Well done. He's, he's, he's very popular and the ratings were extraordinary, right? On his, uh, his big victory. And for us old guys, nice to see him win. That's for sure. Yeah. So yes. thanks, thanks, Brian. That was great. Yeah. And welcome over to you, Sub, if you want to introduce yourself. Yeah. Thanks. And, and thanks for having me. I'm, I'm Sub Najjar. I'm the North American president of Mosaic. Uh, recently started, started in November. Um, so I won't lay claim to any of the work that has been done because it's the, the great team that's been kicking it off. But uh, lots of, to be honest, lots of work in the U.S., not much in Canada. Um, as we are, we're, it feels like we're starting to get to get more. Uh, but by background, I'm a strategic planner by trade. I uh, have been on integrated, integrated marketing side kind of all my life, both on the client side early on in my career and then in agency world um, and have started this kind of new adventure of, uh, you know, trying to build a team and, and a competency that's, that's fully integrated in, in this screen world we happen to live in for the, for hopefully for the short period of time we will. Great. Thanks. Thanks. Sam. Thanks for joining us. And, and do you have any, anything you've even outside of, you know, Mosaic, anything you've seen experientially that, that, drew your attention and we just heard the great yeah i think to be be honest we've done a lot of work in the alcohol space and beer space as well um for us you know i've I've worked with had the privilege of working with ab and bev for for many many years and and just you know from festivals to to small sampling events to you know big super bowl moments with stella um that's kind of been a lot of my experience uh in the experiential side Great, great. We look forward to learning more as we as we go on. Yeah. So thanks for joining us very much. Uh, Judy, you're, I'm just going left to right on my screen. So Judy, you're, you're next. So if you want to introduce yourself, please. Sure. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Judy Lee, and I'm the Global Head of Industry and Experiential Marketing at Pinterest. And um, I've spent most of my career um, in-house and doing a variety of marketing roles. And I think I've always been adjacent to events or have kind of managed them on different teams. I've worked in the tech and media industry for quite a long time, um, everywhere from uh, Facebook and Instagram to Pandora Music, um, you know, related to Sirius. Uh, I know who um, you'll be introducing Zach next and um, AOL and, and CNET before that. Um, and in my current role, I, I, ha- I look over, look after a number of teams. And um, I think for me, when I like reflect back on this year and some of the work that um, that we were doing here at Pinterest, obviously we're quite limited in terms of what we could do uh, in real life. But one of the more ambitious endeavors we took on was a program called Pinterest Presents, which was a six market um, online event really kind of bring our brand to life. And, um, you know, typically when we do that, you know, we really focus on talent because we think, you know, that that's really important when you don't have the food and the venue and all those other things that might be around you for an experience. And while we um, got some really great names, like including Dan Levy from Schitt's Creek, who is a um, secret pinner, uh, you know, I was actually very surprised at um, the person who did get the most kind of feedback and um, and buzz was a woman named Sinead Burke, who's a disability advocate and a little person based out of um, Ireland in the UK. And um, what was really amazing about her is that she took a very hands-on approach and um, inclusion is very important to both me and kind of our overall mission. And so she really pushed us to build a more inclusive um, experience, which included sign language interpreters and, and other pieces. And I will say that's a single thing that I heard from brands around the world about how can they design um, their experiences to be more inclusive. So for me, that was a big learning in this time um, and something that we're looking to carry on moving forward. Wonderful. Wonderful. That's a great example. And obviously something that everyone 
I mean, always should have before in universities, we often did, but it's becoming, you know, top of list for everyone. So wonderful. Thanks, Judy. That's, that's great. So Zach, over to you to, to finalize, to be our last uh, to introduce yourself. Well, I don't like following any of those people because they're so well-spoken. Um, I'm Zach Eller. Uh, I head up uh, Partnerships and Experiential at SiriusXM Pandora and now Stitcher, um, which became came part of our organization last year. Um, if you're not familiar with Stitcher, it's uh, one of the largest podcasting apps and has some amazing exclusive podcasts like Office Ladies. And we just announced a, a new podcast we're doing with Seth Rogen exclusively as well. So. Um, uh, my role is um, twofold, overseeing um, a lot of our partnership work. So marketing partnerships, brand partnerships, outside of our ad sales uh, group, um, and then all of our platform and distribution partnerships with our connected devices as well. And then also lead our experiential team. So everything from uh, very event focused um, activations around, you know, huge activities like Super Bowl and um, South by Southwest and, you know, every Coachella and things like that, all the way down to small experiential programs that we're running with influencers or with activations uh, to launch a new product, a new brand, a new piece of content, um, you know, kind of anything in that experiential space. Obviously, um, the last year has been interesting to say the least uh, for the music world, you know, on one hand, it's been a, a a great catalyst for people listening to our services on all different types of devices and spending a lot of time listening to music on our services at home. Um, obviously, though, the in-vehicle listening went way down from a serious perspective. So, you know, pluses and minuses all around. And then from an experiential events perspective, you know, we put on, you know, anywhere from um, just on the Pandora side, uh, we'll put together anywhere from, you know, 10 to 20 big events a year, um, concerts, activations, uh, all sorts of festival work. Um, and that kind of obviously really shut down. And we had to pivot from a, a live in-person world to a, a virtual concert and event world in a matter of weeks. Um, and basically, you know, put together a whole new strategy, both from a marketing, but also, you know, a, an event strategy that drives a significant amount of revenue for the business. So it's been a it's been an interesting year, but I think we have really pivoted successfully. And now I think we're looking at as we go back to the live world, how do we actually take advantage of the virtual space that we've built? Right. And then on top of that, how can we extend those virtual opportunities um, uh, in in new and exciting ways as well? Um, because we're able to reach so many more people than we are um, just um, based on our you know exclusively in-person events. Wonderful. Thanks, Zach. And interesting is, is definitely the right word. I think you used it a few times and, and described yeah, it. Yeah, I think I just, it's it's what I've settled on because the other words either are, are um, too, uh, too profane or um, don't, don't, don't do it justice. Well said. Yes, fair enough. Fair enough. I'm going to go back to yourself and Judy. Let's go back to you in a second. So Judy first, and we want to just... Uh, for the uh, for the listeners, because obviously you're you're both with brands that you don't necessarily immediately think of experiential you know, marketing as as part of the, the the kind of the marketing plans of your brands. Obviously, you don't need anything specific or inside uh, information, but in general, could you talk about you know, brands like yourselves, Pinterest and Sirius and Pandora? How do you how do you view experiential and how does that fit into your overall plans? Or if you want to talk about it more generally, that's that's fine too. So. Um, Sure. Start with you and then Zach. 
Yeah, happy to jump in. So I think, you know, I always used to say, like, I'm a marketer that was dabbling in experiences and events. And I think having that broader knowledge and and being a more multidisciplinary marketer, working on campaigns and content marketing and, and various aspects, I think that really helped me, I think, even be a stronger experiential marketer, because I feel like that in and of itself can be the core of so many other things and can be an engine of content or social and, and many other um, aspects of marketing. But as it relates to like, how does it fit into the strategy? So I think, you know, maybe a good place to start is by sharing the mission of Pinterest, which is to bring everyone the inspiration to create a life they love. And, you know, I think there's like a good blessing and curse of having that as our mission, because what is more kind of motivating and exciting than thinking about how do you bring inspiration to people and have that be a core part of everything that we do. But then also, how do you do it? Right? Because it can mean so many different things to so many different people. And so um, as it relates to our broader like strategy, you know, we work across multiple audiences and regions. And so we really think about it in terms of Pinner, which is our consumer audiences, creators, which are the folks that are building content on our platforms, and then um, businesses or advertisers and marketers. And so um, in terms of like goals and strategies, it varies. And I think you can broadly think of it as growth overall, whether it's growing content, growing creators on our platform, growing revenue, growing usage, um, and just kind of scaling overall. Um, That's kind of where it really functions. And, you know, I know we can kind of probably talk about this ad nauseum, but for me, you know, I obviously love experiences and events, and I just feel like the thing that it brings to um, campaigns overall is memorability. Um, you know, like I think you had mentioned South by, and and when you think about South by and all the campaigns, all the crazy things going on at that festival, what always sticks out is a memorable experience. You know, it's not some ad or billboard per se that you might see. It's that you went and experienced the Game of Thrones like immersive, immersive like experience, um, or or whatever it may be. I feel like South by and, and places like Coachella are definitely ripe with them. Um, so for me, that's really exciting, and and I'm really excited for the future of how we bring inspiration to everybody um, in real life and online. That's great. It's like a way to kind of stand out from all the other. That's really good. I really like that. So Zach, how about yourself? You know, I think the way we look at experiential marketing is ever evolving. Um, you know, I think it was always from a music perspective, it was performances and events and concerts and, um, you know, kind of what you would think of as what ex- music experiential is, right? Which is, you know, going to a concert, whether that's a small or a large venue and really, you know, having an incredible experience with an artist. Um, And I think that still plays a huge role in what we're doing, but I think we also want to look at like, you know, music is part of so many different aspects of people's lives. It's such a passion point for people, but it's also, it's, it's a part of, you know, as we've seen with the pandemic, you know, uh, what is, how's music a part of cooking? How's music a part of sports? How's music a part of, um, you know, hanging out with your friends um, as travel, all these different things, you know, music, we all say we have like a soundtrack to our lives, right? And I think experiential allows you to kind of help build out that soundtrack. So, you know, how experiential I think fits into our plans is, is similar to kind of what Judy was outlining is, you know, I look at it as we've got kind of three key or three core um, people we need to look after from an experiential perspective. One is 
um, our content partners. So who are our music labels, our artists, our venues, um, you know, the people that, in, you know, create this incredible content that we uh, share with listeners all day, every day, and how do we work with them to put forth um, things that are important to them, to allow them to have a way to um, uh, share their music and their experiences with um, consumers and with users and fans. Um, so, you know, that's, that's kind of one of the three, the, the legs of the stool. The second is the users themselves, right? We, you know, we have Pandora, which is a primarily an ad supported service. And we have Sirius XM, which is primarily, well, entirely a subscriber service, right? So we have very different goals for those things too. You know, for, for a lot of uh, the Sirius business, it's about how do we create exclusive subscriber only uh, moments via experiential marketing? You know, these people pay for the service and, and they, they have um, a desire to, you know, have the inside track. Um, with the talent that we work with. And so, you know, how can we provide them that, that added value that they're looking for? And then I think from a broader Pandora, Stitcher and SiriusXM, how can we use experiential marketing and events to act as an acquisition tool, right? How do we drive people to understand that by using our services, they're gonna have access to these incredible events um, that they otherwise wouldn't have access to. And then the final stool of that is, you know, um, brands and partners, um, you know, we obviously use experiential and events um, from a revenue generation perspective. Um, we use them as exclusive content for some of our distribution partners. Uh, we just uh, actually signed a big deal and announced it this week with TikTok, which you may have seen. Um, and also then just a lot of our marketing partners, you know, we have a ton of marketing partners we work with um, that help us drive uh, subscription and acquisition and listening. And so how can, how can these events and experiential be a, a tool for them to use as well? So th that's how I kind of look at it. Um, it's definitely not just a marketing tool. It's not just a revenue generation tool. It's not just an artist uh, tool to keep our, our talent happy. It's kind of how do we look at it, all three to make sure that, that, that we are creating experiences that everybody can be part of. Great. Thanks, Zach. And I mean, well said, and it's interesting, I mean, you're, you're, just your title that you have both partnerships and experiential under your vice presidency is certainly very interesting there. Uh, so Sub and Brian, I mean, maybe you want to comment on this. I mean, you both are leading agencies, but you both have, I know, Brian with Pepsi and Sub with uh, InBev, you've got, you've got brand background, like either of you optional. Do you want to make any comments on, on what uh, Judy and Zach just said before we jump to our next question? No, I, I think how Zach, Zach put it is perfect, right? It's, it's more than just one thing. And I think oftentimes it gets discredited by just looking at it through one lens. And, and a, a, an experience can be many things. It can be revenue generating if, if it's worth something to the consumer. It can be partnerships. It can be mass reach. So I think as Zach put it is, is a perfect way is looking at it holistically and how it can drive your business and what, what, what your objectives are trying to get to. Perfect. Brian, do you have anything you want to? I, I think that's I think that's dead right, and I think going forward, um, things are going to look different and feel different. I think, you know, we think about the, the the value equation to a consumer to participate in an experiential platform. I think it is changing. It has always been changing. I think it has changed in the last twelve months. In some regards, the value of a proximal, physical, immersive experience is going to be higher by virtue of people being starved of those experiences that they loved in the past but there's a little bit more cost now, right? Depending on where you are on the vaccination dimension, where you are in terms of how you feel about the pandemic, whether 
you have people who are immunocompromised in your immediate family, all hosts of sorts of reasons will influence the degree to which people will be engaged and attracted by these experiential platforms that we build out there. So it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out, but to all of the, the panelists, and we're certainly seeing it from our clients, the, and I think there was a question that just came up in the, uh, the chat room about resources putting against experiential marketing. When I was, when I was on the client side, now I'm going back you know, 10, 15 years, there wasn't quite as much scrutiny um, there wasn't as much performance marketing metrics available to the marketer in their toolbox. Marketing mix models were just in their infancy. So it was a little bit easier as a, as a client-side marketer to justify and rationalize the spend. I actually think that because of all the tools and tricks that we as marketers have, it can you can drive performance. You can drive short-term ROI. You can use an experiential platform to not only drive consumer relevancy, make your brand resonate more strongly culturally with consumers, but you can actually operate down funnel. You can drive velocity. You can drive the retail. You can drive conversions to Zach's point or subscriptions, whatever your business model is. I think the, the, both the standards by which we're going to be judged by clients on the agency side are higher, but the tools and the mechanisms and mechanics that we have at our disposal are much more infinitely broad than they used to be. So I think the, um, the days of experiential are the best experiential and the importance in the, the, the marketing mix are actually ahead of us versus behind us because of all the dimensions that I'm, that I'm describing. That's terrific. Thank you, Brian. And that, that got into some of answering some of Kim's questions. So thank you, Kim, for that. And I hopefully that answers. And if anyone else wanted to jump in, her question is, with experiential marketing being a very specific niche of marketing, what resources do you recommend for someone who wants to learn further in the field? Brian gave some great, some great answers. Anyone else want to, to jump in and then we'll move to the next question? No, I, I think, to be honest, I think it's if you want to learn further and get into this field, it's, it's understand consumers, right? It's, it's you as a consumer, what motivates you, what engages you, what you find joy and happiness in and what, what you know, makes you revolt against how brands behave and talk to you. And I think uh, the more we understand consumer behavior and the more we understand how us as consumers react, I think that's, as you know, that's the beauty of, of where experiential can go. And as Brian said, I think un we're understanding that in all facets of advertising, we're understanding that in all facets of marketing of how do we create more authentic, unique, trusted experiences with consumers. And when you take those kind of words of authentic, trusted, and unique, a one-to-one -one experience, a live experience kind of hits some of those checkboxes. Right, right, great, great. Well said. Okay, good. Well, let's add this. Robbie just asked a question, but I'm going to ask one first for the <laughs> panel and then we'll go back to you, Robbie, and we'll, we'll have Brian answer, which would be great. So, you know, one of the things we wanted to kind of establish is, you know, this, this idea of, you know, the pandemic and I know depending where you are, it's in different stages and we see you know, events coming back in England and concerts happening and starting in the US and Canada a long way away, but it's this, this, this kind of, this, we're, we're coming there. So when you think ahead, I think a lot of you have hinted this already, what do we think things are going to look like once we get back to, or, or whatever the return kind of looks like? Is this going to be a slow roll? Are there certain segments that are going to respond to that? Or some like this pent up demand that we're seeing in other segments? If you open up your crystal balls for a second, what's experiential going to look like, you know, this fall, maybe a year from this fall, uh, as we kind of emerge and those things that come forward. So uh, maybe, maybe Zach, we could start with you and then we'll go to Sub and Brian and Judy. In terms of uh, uh, the, you know, what I'm looking at uh, is definitely a back to live. Um, I think, you know, 
we're we're actively preparing for that um, for our concerts, for our events, for our shows. Um, but then also we're really leaning into like, okay, great. What, what does that mean from a, a more kind of brand activation experiential perspective, right? So what, how does, how does our, how do our music services tie into people's desire to be traveling? How does our music services to translate into people wanting to eat out, right? And do things outside the house, right? In, in addition to kind of performance event uh, style experiential. So I think we're looking at all of that. I think that we're also, as, as everybody has alluded to here, you know, virtual isn't going away. Um, it's just, it's going to become kind of uh, a, a, another stage in um, the experience. So for example, you know, maybe we have a great live event for a couple thousand people and then we record it, edit it together and then a week later put it out virtually for other people to enjoy. And then we take even a different version of that and we put it out um, as we just announced this week on our TikTok channel as a co-branded TikTok event. So, um, you know, I think we, we're looking at like, how, how can we bring this event or, or the experiential um, moment to as many people as possible? Because there's only so many people who can go to something in person in one city um, at a venue or at a location at a specific time. But, you know, I think experiential marketing is, is, all about like, how do you bring that experience to as many people as possible um, and allow everybody in their own way, uh, whether that's a virtual experience, whether that's AR or VR, whether that's, you know, bringing experiences through, you know, beloved influencers and, and talent that you love, how can you bring all of that to people? So I think you're gonna see, you know, the, the whole concept of it continue to evolve. I don't think live experiential moments are going away. I just think it, the question is gonna be like, great, how do you amplify those um, in addition to kind of how they were before where people were sharing them on social? That's obviously important, but how can you actually, actually how can you actually extend the experience um, to people on these other platforms um, rather than just sharing kind of a recap or uh, a moment later? Yeah, just one, one, one comment, if I can add to what Zach said, I totally agree. And it, it's about, to a degree, it's about your frame of reference, right? Because the, the virtual experience will never fully replace the immersive experience of being there, tasting it, touching it, feeling it, the camaraderie, the energy that comes with that. But if uh, I was talking with uh, one of the former panelists from earlier in the week, uh, my good friend Tara, the CMO of, of Petco, and he and I were talking about he went on a dog walk in the Himalayas virtually. And that was an incredible experience because his alternative frame of reference was he was never going to walk his dog in the Himalayas in a physical context. So the virtual experience over delivered on his expectations. If you're trying to replicate that experience on a screen in a virtual environment, it's going to be disappointing no matter how brilliant you execute the platform. So I think it's all about the consumer context, the frame of reference to make sure you're delivering on the expectations of the people you want to engage. Really good point. Frame of reference that there's a takeaway. Over, over to you, Sub. Yeah, and I think, I think there's a couple things. So, you know, we're in a little bit of a sneak peek where we've commissioned a report with Event Marketer around live experiences and, and events and how they're going to come back in the post-pandemic. And two of the, the interesting studies were still after the pandemic, right, events and experiences at 36% are still second to only a brand's website in, in regards of, of a trusted medium and how to engage with the brand. 
And then we have 81% of brands that say their budgets are going to remain the same, if not grow higher in the event uh, and experiential space. So from, from a, how consumers engage and value the channel, how brands are willing to spend in that channel, I think both will allow it to succeed. And lastly, the, the thing we've all missed, I think, from this pandemic is human connection. And, you know, as much as we all got on Zooms and played cahoots and, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, I don't know how that, I think that like, that was the reverse hockey stick probably, right? It's like, just kind of got sick and tired of it. And going to the grocery store, especially in Canada, um, that became the only element you had of, of getting human connection. So I think this, the need, the innate need of humans to be around other humans and have that bond and connection is always going to remain. And that's what makes great experiences. Right. It's, it's not even from a one to one or a one to many. I think how you leverage that for a brand in an authentic way and in, 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 in a way that will drive engagement, then you can look at how technology plays into it to, to amplify. But it, the, the core, I think, that we're missing is going to be how do we create connections? Um, and there's no better way than, than an event or in a live experience to help create those connections with other people or with brands. Yeah. Very well said. But Judy, Judy. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I agree with a lot of what's been um, shared and said. And I think like I, I often think about, you know, different demographics will have different needs, um, different appetites and comfortability, comfortability with crowds and, and, you know, what some of these experiences may mean. So I think, you know, when I look across our global kind of set of brands, we know Australia is already open. Singapore is already open. And so, yeah, I think there's definitely a bit of a burst. But then there's also a bit of reticence, right? I feel like I often say to my team, this past year has made us all socially awkward. Um, and so it's kind of like, how do we kind of get back into being in crowds if people are okay with it? Um, and, and so I think it'll be interesting to understand and how different experiences may be tailored to different audiences. Um, and, and one thing I did want to build, and, and I feel like, um, you know, Sub, you may have been kind of getting to this, but you know, th there is something to be said about scale. I think like as marketers, we always look to scale, like how do we get more out of less and, and reach more and more people. But something I would offer as a counterpoint, like similar to some trends that we see in social media overall and where like future generations are heading are more private and intimate spaces, right? You know, I think the growth and proliferation of messaging chats and, and more private kind of situations. So, you know, I, I would posit like based on, especially what we've gone through from a public health perspective, there's probably an opportunity there too, right? There, there, are, there will be good moments for, you know, the giant Paloozas of the world and then um, good moments for more private and intimate spaces where you can have those connections that might mean more. And then you can just get more creative as a marketer about how you might scale that um, and how you might take something that feels private, create some demand, some, you know, I think FOMO is still a thing. Um, and and really get that out there without having a giant crowd as well. Wonderful. Some, some great insights from everyone so far. So Brian, if I could, I could ask you just to respond, if you don't mind, to Robbie's question. And I'll read it out. But if, if it's too specific, you can speak in generalities for sure. I'm interested in the Amsel activations, especially after Phil's recent win. Brian, how will the activations you mentioned support with retailers that Amsel is looking to win with? And others can jump in afterwards and comment generally working with retailers if they like. But Brian, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as those who work in the spirits or, or beer industry, it's a little bit retailer engaged, but it's a little bit more challenging than it was at PepsiCo, um, just because of the three-tiered system and the distributor relationships. But 
You know, I tell you what, it's um, this whole program with Phil and and signing him as as an endorser for the brand wasn't just about the experiential. We created a, a compelling experiential platform, but it's all the content. It's Phil and his quirky language. It's his social amplification. It's uh, and this I did not intend to have a prop, but I actually just received this in the mail today. It's uh, Phil, you know, with his jump man on the actual can and pulling every everything through. Um, it's huge with retails, right? Because it's about driving consumer relevance for a brand. It's about creating that pull, creating that demand. But there's a huge push component via the distributors, right? And it's not. Um, it, it's clearly part of the strategy to make sure we had a somebody to front both the experiential and the overall campaign who is highly resonant, resonant with the, the beer distributors that can ultimately decide your fate at retail, more so than the brand themselves can decide their fate at retail. So um, lots, lots to do there, but I will say that the brand has returned to growth, uh, which is great behind this overall platform. So it, it's working, it's working, and we're just getting started. Terrific, terrific. Thank you, Brian. And I quick call it to Judy. She answered in the, the panel about volunteering as an advice to Kim's question. I, would, I wouldn't be being a good professor and there was a lot of students watching this session to say that, I mean, taking advantage of the experiential opportunities when you're in school, right? I mean, we push a lot in business schools to have these things and a lot of people go <clears throat> through them. But as Judy has said, and the panelists have said, you got to get out there and do it and experience it and try it. And you have all these opportunities in front of you. And then when it comes time to get these jobs and these people are interviewing you, you have experiences to talk from. So great, great point, Judy. Thanks for that. All right. So I'm going to go to the next question and, and Sub, we'll start with you this time, give you a chance to go first. And I'm going to ask the data one. So um, how will data play a role moving forward in experiential? What insights are most valuable, do you think most valuable to capture during an event or any kind of experiential program to inform the brand or the agency moving forward? Yeah. And so it's, great. it's a great question. And I think, you know, data is this big thing that we've all talked about for years and years and years. And my answer is, and as generic as it sounds, is it all depends what you do with it, right? And I think it's, it's just because you can capture it, just because you can track it, just you can, you know, follow it, doesn't necessarily mean it's the right metric you should be looking at. And I think for us, it's like, the way we approach it is what are the objectives we're trying to accomplish from a business standpoint? What data points are necessary to, for us to leverage to create that? I think, you know, when you think about it from before an event, where an event takes place, the kind of audience you want to engage with that event. Yeah, that's like some geolocation and some spatial targeting. And so there's data and insights you can leverage into mapping out where is the best opportunity for you to engage an audience at an event, the, the kind of metrics you want and, you know, lead generation, it, it all depends on what kind of conversion you want out of it. And I think for us, it's, you know, I always talk about it in, in, in a way of never creating a, a dead end. Right. And I think oftentimes, if you think about the experience and you think about it from how you're building it to what you want them to do, look at the data points to, to look at and, and see if you have a dead end. And essentially, if you create a, a, an experience, a through line experience all the way to conversion, you will have multiple data points that you should measure as you're building that consumer journey. Um, and, and I think oftentimes it's just like, they're, and it's dangerous because data in the wrong hands can make something look completely different. Um, and those might not necessarily be even remotely interesting data points, but it's, it's, I think, you know, it's, it's a, it's a topic that everyone's fluent in, but I, I still think it gets overused too much, um, and start to just figure out what data points matter and track those. You're very custom, right? Done, right? Very good. Very good. Judy, do you want to add? Sure. I think like, 
um, I guess it depends like, you know, in terms of insights or data, because I feel like, you know, building on what um, Seba just said, I feel like the insights going into building something are just as important as like the data you capture coming out of something. And I think that's when you really get to experiences that truly resonate and help truly move like business metrics as well. And so I think like having a really, and I, th- I feel like m- multiple folks have mentioned this already, having those insights to really make the experience um, land, I think will be key. But, you know, data be- can be used in multiple ways. Like, you know, when we were doing a lot of more like, um, you know, early in the pandemic, I think when we were like, oh, what do we do when we don't have conferences and ways to educate people? Let's just do a webinar. And like we now in my team say like, it's a W word, we don't use it. Um, And so I think, you know, what we had found and and ways we adjusted through the year was that we saw that there was high drop-off. And so that was like a thing that we immediately changed moving forward is we made all of our content a lot shorter, a lot snappier, much more entertaining. And we really kind of rethought like how we produce things. So that was like one way we leveraged data immediately. Um, I think other ways that people can really think about it is, you know, looking at drop-off rates, looking at you know, whether you're using different talent or um, different speakers, what's really resonating. And then also audience demo data, like where are people coming in from and, and um, you know, countries, markets and all of that. So I think all of that is really interesting. And then, um, you know, basically what Seb said, it really depends on what you do with it and how you might use that to build your next campaign or, or experience. Sure. And sorry, sorry to interrupt, but I think the, the beauty of having physical and digital or this hybrid world now means that you probably will have more data points, which probably will be more confusing because now how are you gonna compare physical metrics to the amplification you get from a digital metric? And that behavior, although similar, is very different. And the mm-hmm. level of engagement, you know, and, and even as, as Zach was talking about, the level of engagement that you want from a brand or from, from a music industry in a live versus a digital may be different, but you might have a longer time on site. Does that mean that they're more engaged? Um, right? Because I can put music on in the background. Um, but at an event, I'm at a concert looking at an artist. Yeah, so attribution. I think it's all depends on how you use. Attribution is a huge issue. Very good. And, and big data. Well said. Um, I don't know how to go to Zach. Why don't you? And then we'll go to Brian. Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I, I don't want to repeat what everybody said because I think it's all important. And, uh, you know, I think they've, they've said it well. I mean, the only thing I would say is, you know, when... I think in, in the business we're in, you know, we're getting, we're, we are, we are digital businesses, right? So we're getting people to either use our services if it's an ad supported service or subscribe and then use our service. Right. So um, I think we use our experiential obviously to, you know, that, that ability to capture the data is important, but as, as everybody has said, then how do we use that data to, to get these people to actually interact with and use our services and even, you know, give us their credit card number and pay us um, to use our services. Um, And so, you know, I think all of that's really important to look at in terms of what is that path. Um, The experiential path really interestingly for us is sometimes it's at the beginning, sometimes it's at the end, right? So sometimes the experiential thing is is the thing that drives the data capture that then drives the consumer journey, that then drives the acquisition funnel, um, that then drives the subscription, which then drives them back to an experiential event, right? Um, or it could be completely the other way around, right? So, you know, I think you can't think, uh, I always say like, you know, what the, our goals for, for events and experiential 
are, are so numerous, right? As I said, we've got these three stools to for all these people that, you know, these things are important for, but then even just looking at the consumer, um, you know, what are they looking to get out of it? Sometimes it's a way to acquire a consumer. Sometimes it's a, way, a great, you know, you're using these things as the ultimate retention tool. Um, so I think, you know, and sometimes you're using the same experience to do both simultaneously yeah. to a different consumer. Um, so, you know, I think it's just, it's, it's really like, I think as, as Judy said too, it's about like, how do you go into planning something to make sure you're answering all, all the right questions up front so that it, that you don't look back on it later and say, wow, I, we, we really missed the boat on this because we didn't. We didn't have the insights or the or we didn't ask the right questions. Um, and so we, we kind of we delivered something that wasn't what re people really wanted. Right. Well, I, I have one build an example because it just reminded me of this as Zach was speaking. Um, it was actually one of the earlier event programs we had launched at um, Pandora, uh, which feels like I think at least 10 years ago. And funnily enough, it was called Pandora Presents. So you can see I have a, an affection for alliteration. Um, and one of the interesting things we did with the data, like as a platform owner, was we could see what genres of music people liked. We could see what people, you know, thumbed or recorded and all or um, added. And so that informed one of our earliest concert series, which was all about we knew in different markets, like who liked you know, um, you know, kind of an up and coming band. And so then we planned these concerts in those markets around a band and then marketed it to those folks who had thumbed it up. Now, our key learning was like, this is, this is genius, right? Like, we're really precise. We're going to like super serve people who love this band. But what we found was that um, we had to broaden the net. Right. And because it's just like in terms of actually getting people to turn out, it was almost too precise and in the form of targeting. And so I think that was like a really interesting learning, like how broadcast that net, how as a platform can we use that data to inform like experiences and programs like that. So that's great. Thank you. Thank you, Judy, for sharing. That's really great. Brian, do you have one adding on data? I know it's hard to go last, but goodness. Yeah, it is hard to go last um, with brilliant panelists like this. And Judy, I too have a an affection for alliteration, so I, I admire that about you. Um, probably to a fault, I have I have that affection. But you know, I guess the moral of the story for me is that it used to be that you'd create an experiential event and you hoped that people came. You hoped you were in the right place. You hoped you got the right people that you the brand really wanted to go through the experience. And in the back end, you really didn't know what was going to happen downstream of that. You hoped it had a, a brand perception impact or drove some sort of conversion. Now it's completely different, right? You can tar you can drive the specific users, the specific consumers that you want to go through your experience. You can guide them through the experience on an individual basis. You can map and monitor almost unwitting, unknowingly to them what, where they're spending their time, where they're concentrating, where, they're, where there's dwell time, where they're going deeper into an experience. And then on the back end with targeting, retargeting, dynamic retargeting, you can then serve them with something that significantly drives up your conversion, right? Because you know more about them after having been through the experience that you created for them. You knew a lot going in and you know even more going out. So the ability for brands to, uh, to drive true, true ROI, because let's face it, experiential platforms, they do come at a cost. There's a cost per engagement factor that will always be there relative to other forms of media or engagement. So you got to make it work really, really, really hard. And then, 
the, that's where all, all the discussions we've had about the virtual amplification and some of the gifts the pandemic has given us make those uh, ROI equations, you know, a lot easier to justify with the CFO. Right, right. Well said. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. That was, those are great answers on a, a really important topic, as, uh, as you all know. I'll just add this. We, we've only got about 15 minutes left. So for anyone that uh, wants to ask a question in the chat, I would encourage you to get it in shortly. Uh, so I'm going to ask uh, one more question. We'll go reverse order. So Brian, will let you go first this time so you don't have to uh, go last. Great. Let's talk about the last few months and really things are, are really shifting. You know, we've got consumer trends, really, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, social justice and digitization, the vaccinations are coming. There's real political divide in many countries of the world, interesting things happening. Live events are starting to come back. There's a lot of pent up. What are you seeing in the brands, the, the events themselves, the agency side around experiential? What do you really see that's happening right now? Because you're obviously in the, in the trenches. Yeah, I'd say it's been it, it's been a slow coming out. I would say um, I think there's always been a uh, not many brands wanted to be first, not many brands wanted to be the first ones out there because my goodness, what if something went wrong? Right. Um, what if what if something went wrong in actuality or perception? Something went wrong because um, they're two different things, as we often know, and brands are inherently risk averse. So I think. There was a lot of kind of wait and see, see what other, maybe even competitors, other people in non-competing industries are doing, but it's definitely, it's definitely coming. It's definitely coming back And to, to Judy's comment about all the geographic differences globally. We're certainly even domestically in the U.S., very, very different. The experience of going through the pandemic in downtown Chicago, where I live and work, very, very different than it was when I go visit, you know, Dallas or visit a, a market in Florida or or Arizona or some other insert other community in the country. So the, the pent up demand of these kind of proximal physical among the people experiences is very different because they experienced the pandemic very, very differently. And, um, and all sorts of things go into that. Their people's politics, their backgrounds, socioeconomic situations, you know, kids at home, not kids at home. It, it's, um, it, it's it'll be really it's going to be more interesting and a little bit less predictable than maybe it has been in the past. But there's opportunity in that. Um, there's opportunity in that for marketers and agencies and and partners. Um, so we'll um, we'll we'll see what happens. But I'm I'm excited. I'm excited that we're we're kind of coming out of it. And um, there is no normal, right? That's overused cliche. There is no normal. But I think we're I think consumers by and large are kind of ready to go on, get on with it now. I feel that excitement too. Uh, Judy, if you'd like to go next, talk about what's happening in the trenches right now. Yeah, I feel like Brian did a great job of painting like the broad picture there. So I'll kind of take it in a slightly different direction um, to build upon it. So I think there's like two things. One is like, what's the consumer mindset right now? And, and I think Brian touched on it a bit. It's a little bit slow. I think some of the things that we're seeing in terms of the research that we've done is that people developed a lot of these routines and habits over the past year. And I think as people think about them, there's some things that they might not wanna let go, right? So for the people who are parents, for better or for worse, they spend a lot of time with their family. And, and you, know, um, it, you know, I think obviously there's a bit of, of exhaustion there in terms of being both parent, teacher and all the other things to their children. But the kind of silver lining of it was like for a lot of folks they're like, wow, 
I had dinner with my family 365 nights this past year. What might that look like going forward? So I think there's some of those routines and things that happen that people might not want to let go of so quickly. So that's like one thing as I think about um, the consumer insights and, and what we're starting to see. Um, now, obviously that varies across age levels, across, you know, different regions. And, and, you know, there's probably tons of people that we're already seeing that want to go back to the stadiums and concert halls. Um, and then the second thing I would say is like that you touched upon is kind of the role of brands have really changed. I feel like this past year, um, especially in the U.S., like that that's really been one of my primary focus areas in terms of brand as activist, brand is having values. And at a time where consumers were stuck at home, they spent a lot of time online. They spent a lot of time interacting with brands. They just look at anyone's comments. Like everyone had an opinion when brand took a stand. Um, and and put out brave work or, or whatever it may be. And so I think the way, like I think more and more consumers look to brands and, and want to see what their values are and see if that it aligns with their, their view of the world. Um, so I think it's a really um, exciting, but also um, tricky territory for a lot of us to play in. Yeah. Those were great builds on, on Brian's point. Thank you. So sub over to you, like today, what's going on? Yeah, and I, so I think, and you know, uh, having the privilege of, of leading both the Canadian and the, and the U.S. side, on the U.S. side, it's like full go, right? From what we're seeing, where like we have active projects, we have active briefs, brands are going in. The, you know, the concerns we have um, are making sure that we are very clear, we are very transparent around the health and safety protocols, and not just in how we set up an event, but to anybody attending event, um, and making sure that those requirements are very transparent and, and clear. And then on the Canadian side, it feels like we started. We are starting to get the briefs and we are starting to get the conversations going. I think we've always had the conversations going, but we were kind of waiting to see who was going to be first in the space. Uh, but now that we, you know vaccinations have started to ramp up in Canada, um, we're we're seeing the the conversations of okay, when what does it look like when we do open? And and I you know I think un unfortunately for anybody who's been on the the agency side for the for the pandemic, you've you've built three plans, right? You've built a an open it's going to open plan, you've built a it's going to close plan, and you've built an oh maybe I don't know this will happen plan. Um, and so now it's time we execute some of those, um, yeah. right? And I think I think that's been that's been the the world of the past year for anybody on the agency side, and respectfully so. It's like it's been this uncertain environment, but I think the the biggest thing for me is, you know. Um, Watching, and I'm a sports nut, watching Madison Square Garden yesterday for the Knicks and the Hawks. And boy, does it bring back feelings of what a live experience is meant to do and what a collective environment and cheering does, right? And so as we get more of those natural human events occurring, I think it gives brands more permission to replicate their version of that. And, you know, as we get, as we get more comfortable in that, and, it, it's, and once again, it's going to be different by region, but I, th I, I think we are getting there. I think you know, there's, we, you know, Mosaic is part of Acosta and Acosta has a food service side. And, you know, there was a stand up, I'll, I'll probably get the number exactly wrong, but the number was just astronomical where it's like, I think it's like 2,800% increase in restaurant reservations. So I think the, the, the demand is there. Um, and I think it's what's the right way for you, your brand, your product, your category, your consumer to engage. And it's not a one size fits all approach. Really good. We should all coin the uh, the maybe. I'm not sure what's going to happen. This might be plan or whatever you yeah. call it. That was, <laughs> yeah, we, we spent lots of hours on those ones. <laughs> I've got a few of those too. So yeah, you're right. All right, all right Zach, uh, you want to add to this question? 
Uh, I, I, again, I, I don't know if I have that much to add. I think you guys have, have, have said it well. I mean, as, as I've said earlier, I think our biggest thing is how do we know, uh, you know, not only the, the right time to go back to, you know, large format events, but also how can we use those in a different way than we used to, right? Um, and how does that fit into our digital strategy and how does that fit into our acquisition and subscription strategy? And, you know, how can we build more off of these things um, to actually drive our core KPIs than maybe just as kind of a brand awareness uh, tool um, the way that, you know, it, in the way that the, the virtual and digital was really allowed us to be more um, thoughtful and um, and data centric as we talked about. Um, so I think it's just, you know, we're spending a lot of time right now reevaluating timing, reevaluating um, the necessary things that should be a part of a return to quote unquote normal. So. Well, well, so thank you. Thanks, Zach. No, it's hard to go last. Uh, so there's a question, one more question in the chat, and it's from the conference chair himself, Avish. So I'd be in big, big trouble if I didn't ask it. So, and then Troy actually is seconded. So would love to learn more about metrics that you use to define success with experiential. How do you define the success with your, I'm assuming, experiential act activations? And then there's an add-on that just came from Kim around specific metrics. Do you use surveys, wristbands? What do you kind of do? when you think about that. So I don't know if anyone, anyone's willing to take that. Maybe the agency, um, maybe several. Sure. Yeah. Go sure, for it, Brian. Sure, thanks. Uh, the, the answer is something that, uh, that Sub mentioned earlier. It's, it's really based on, they're very specific to the brand. And in some cases, very category specific uh, as well. Um, you know, when you're doing ride and drive experiences for a $120,000 Cadillac Escalade, the people you get there is very different and the output that you need to generate is very different. Hence the experience is very different versus, you know, trying to drive leads, lead gen at scale for, you know, insurance carrier um, as an example. So it, uh, the, the metrics are, are incredibly specific to the brand, not just the brand in general, but where they are on their consumer and brand journey and what objectives they're trying to fulfill with this particular experience we're creating, whether it's a 365 day tour, a singular standalone kind of more epic tentpole event. Um, it's, it's really by the brand. And I think one of my fellow panelists had mentioned earlier that aligning to those and being very clear on those at the onset before you even contemplate what experience you're gonna create is super important. It's super important because that then creates this virtuous, virtuous cycle because then you can look back on it and say, wow, not only was it great, it was a great experience, a great time, but it actually did what we set out to do. Therefore, it's easier to get more and more of those experiences approved and built and, and to drive the business. So it actually hurts the brand and the agency and the whole, and ultimately the consumer, if we don't do a good job laying those metrics and KPIs in the upfront, delivering on the back end. And it could be through all the, there's tons of tools and great technology to enable that and really track it. So um, that's that's just part of our obligation as marketer, as agencies and stewards of brands to make sure we're, we're doing a great job on the on the upfront. Great, well, anyone want to add to that? That was well said, Brian, anyone add? No, I think Brian's right. And I think the only the only piece I'll add is, once again, I think it's, we, we tend to use 
some of these things in, in, in general terms, but it's like, think about marketing metrics and how you would measure those and think about business metrics and how you would measure those. Yeah. And I think when you think about putting on a live experience or an event, there's, those are very, very different. And how you track and measure engagement and the event is very different than how you should be tracking the engagement, the event, the post sales, the sales, the return on investment of your marketing spend from a business metric. And if you have at least a starting point of what should we be measuring to Brian's point and understanding which one of those they fall into, then you can start mapping out with the right technologies, which metrics matter um, and yeah. how you how you justify what the spend. And essentially, everyone wants to know what the ROI is, right? What is the return? Um, That's right. So that, that is how you start to map out what that return looks like. Judy, I think you want to add something. Judy? Sorry, I kept thinking you're about to be done. Um, so my only builds, I feel like it was very well said by um, both Brian and Seb. My builds to this, just being on the brand side, is I'll just say it's hotly debated all the time. And, and as a marketer, if we can't prove impact, we don't get the budgets, right? And so I think my only build to what was said here is it you know, my first, my first response that came into mind was it depends. And I think Brian did a great job of outlining all those dependencies. Um, and then I think, you know, we look at different tools like brand equity trackers, we track things back to sales. Um, and, and there's a variety of metrics that we look at, but I think ultimately, you know, there's a world of what we like to say are proxy metrics, soft metrics, it doesn't always get to causality. And so I think that those are things that we kind of dig into and having judged numerous like award competitions and things like that, I always look at the things where there's actually physical like um, or hard metrics in terms of impact on sales, impact on different like brand metrics or growth drivers and acquisition, et cetera. So I think it depends where you work and, and, and the value of um, what that kind of specific brand wants to get out of their experiential um, activations. That's great. And that really fits with our conversation we had earlier about data, because those are pretty highly linked, right? And so you can see it's pretty challenging. Everybody who's listening. All right. So I want to finish on time for sure. So one last rapid fire question. So I'm going to ask each of you to keep your answer to less than 15 seconds. And I know that's hard, but it's going to be, what is one, only one, what is one new opportunity within the experiential space that did not exist pre-pandemic? And I'm going to talk for that when I start with Zach and then let's go Judy, Brian and Sub. So one, if you can narrow it down, what's one opportunity in anything we've talked about today? So you can talk about a type of program, a, a data source, a way of measuring, a, a mix of digital hybrid, like a whole bunch of things you can talk about that you would really advise to people that is an opportunity that didn't exist before. 15 seconds, please. Zach, we'll start with you. Um, I think you can create, you know, virtual experience, live virtual experiences with, with artists and talent. Um, and allow the audience to actually participate rather than it just being kind of a one-way um, uh, experience from artist to audience. Now I think it can be both ways. Brilliant, brilliant. Judy? I think I'll go back to where I started um, this conversation was inclus inclusion and inclusivity. I think there's something about having access through digital where someone in a faraway country that could never travel can access an experience. And, and one example that comes to mind are the Airbnb online experiences. I just love them because I didn't have to leave my home. I could go to a cooking class in Mexico. I could go experience different things around the world. So just more inclusion and, and being able to participate more. Two for two, really great. Brian. I think there's just been an amazing consumer enlightenment to what this great, wonderful world could look like uh, to Judy and Zach's points. Um, even, even if the tools and resources were there, the awareness 
that they were there and could be utilized to go on these amazing journeys um, is, has been ratcheted up. So I think the world will be better for, for that enlightenment. Well said. Well said. Okay. Sub, so take us home. Yeah, I'll, I'll put it succinctly where the world did not fundamentally change. It changed how we behave and what we expect. And experiences will always matter. Events will always matter. And I think bringing people together is it just looks different, but the core tenets of it are, will always remain the same. Wonderful. Thank you, everybody. That was great. I learned a lot. I enjoyed it very, very much. And thank you for participating. And we're right at seven o'clock and we're getting a lot of positive notes in the chat. So I wish you all a great evening. And thank you so much for your time and insights and expertise. As always, thanks for listening to today's episode. Make sure to follow us at Sponsor Talk on Twitter and the sponsorship space on LinkedIn to join and engage with our community. Hope you enjoyed today's episode and have a great day.